so you're long overdue for a sports illustration. There was a stretch of 86 years in which the Boston Red Sox were known for choking away the possibility of winning World Series championships. After winning the World Series in 1918, it's a long time ago, the Boston Red Sox sold the rights to Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. (laughs) This foolish decision set off a string of years known by Boston fans as the Curse of the Bambino. During these 86 painful sports years for New England, the Red Sox were close on a number of occasions only to let their hopes of a championship slip through their hands. I will recount a few of those instances for you so you can enjoy. In 1975, the Boston Red Sox were in the World Series and in game... ...just hit that epic game-winning home run. You'll remember, if you're a sports fan, with the highlights of Carlton Fisk hitting it and then running, kind of skipping down the first baseline, doing this thing about, you know, hoping it would stay fair. And they did win that game, game six, to go to a seventh game in which they were winning 3-0, only to let the Cincinnati Reds snatch it from them and win the championship. Then in 1978, the Red Sox were headed toward what looked to be the possibility of a championship. And as they came toward the end of the season, they collapsed, culminating with this glorious thing for Yankee fans, a Bucky Dent home run over the green monster. I wasn't, I wasn't following sports at that time, so it didn't hurt me. But some of you probably felt that. And then in 1986, the Red Sox had the championship all but one until the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs. I remember that. I was a small boy, only 10, and I cried. (laughs) And then I, I, I became aware of that great expression, there's always next year. That was the one that the Red Sox fans had to hold on to again and again, hoping, hoping at some point that the pain would be over. In 2003, the Red Sox were winning against the Yankees, headed toward the possibility of a championship. Pedro Martinez on the mound with a a lead. They left him in just a little bit too long. And he gave up a run, and then the famous Aaron Boone home run. Oh, that one hurt. I can still remember sitting in my basement with that one. It was terrible. And guess what the expression was? Well, we'll have to wait till next year. And we did. And in 2004, with the Red Sox losing in the championship series against the Yankees, three games to zero and losing in the ninth inning against the Yankees with the best, probably, closer in baseball history, Mariano Rivera, on the mound. Kevin Millar worked a walk 
and gets to first base. And in comes Dave Roberts. And Dave Roberts steals second base. And Bill Miller comes up to the plate. And he hits a ball up the middle. And Bill Miller scores to tie the game. And the Red Sox went on to win that game. And they went on to win the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals in sweet fashion. Four games to none. And so the misery of the curse of the Bambino came to a wonderful conclusion. And then they ended up winning again in 2007. And then they ended up winning again in 2013. And then they ended up winning again in 2018. It kind of feels like they're due for another one. (laughs) However, hoping in athletic events or sporting events really is like you know, living on a roller coaster, right? You've got the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. You really can't count on anything. So many things have to break right in order for a team to win a championship um, that you really can't count on it. There are so many parts of life that just are just like that. You know, we need everything to break just right in order for it to work out. In our passage this morning... We're instructed to be subject or in compliance to our governmental leaders. And this passage tells us that they, the governmental leaders, are in place for our good. And yet, we know certainly that there are governments that produce more harm than they produce good. Now, we all have opinions about how our country is governed. We have rather strong opinions about how our country is governed. And we can all agree that it is much better government here than in many places all around the world. But this passage is not just for those who live in the United States of America, but for people all over the world. And that can be a trying, a trying situation. We have for many years had very little concern about how to deal with Romans 13 as citizens of this country. I do think we see some writing on the wall that says that there may be some difficulty coming our way, and certainly have felt some elements of that over these last years. But our hope does not arise from our governing authorities, but from a God who rules over all. Our hope lies beyond this world, and our hope encourages us in this world. So it's not just that we have a hope about what will be in the future, that hope about the future encourages us today in 2022. We can be encouraged even in the midst of these difficulties. Here we are in Romans 13. Let's take a look, please, at these verses, verses 1 through 7. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person, or in the Greek, it's every soul, let every being, every human, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, excuse me, are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. We will not be able to exhaust all of the possible implications from this passage this morning. There are so many ways to discuss this and so many concepts that we will rub up against in our lives that this passage impacts. So this morning we want to see God's intention, our responsibilities, and our ultimate hope. God's intention, our responsibilities, and our ultimate hope. So we'll start first with God's intentions. God has ordained governing authorities for our good. God has ordained governing authorities for our good. In verse 1, we see this concept brought forth twice and again in verse 2 where he says, there is no authority except from God. And then again at the end of the, the text, And those that exist have been instituted by God. And then in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So we see in verses 1 and 2 an emphasis that the authorities governing over us have been appointed by God. This is not unique to Romans chapter 13. You can see it in Titus 3. You can see it in 1 Peter chapter 2. And you can see it illustrated throughout the Scriptures, including under the, uh, during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll, I want to illustrate it with a couple of passages on the screens from the book of Daniel. Now Daniel was a young Jewish man who loved God and was faithful to God and was taken from his homeland because of the rebellion of the people of Israel, and he was taken into the land of the Babylonians. These are non-God-honoring people. They didn't know or care about the God of Israel. In other words, the God of the universe. They had their own system of beliefs, and they disregarded anything about the God of creation. And in the midst of God unveiling this account of Daniel's experience in Babylon. We have numerous texts. We're only going to look at just a couple from Daniel 4. We have numerous illustrations of how God sustained his people in the midst of a godless country with governing authorities. 
in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25, listen to these words. This is after Daniel is interpreting the vision of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He says, you are going to be acting as if you're an ox. You're going to be out grazing in the field like an ox until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom He... What does it say? Whom He will. He gives it to whom He will. Nebuchadnezzar, the one that I have anointed as king over Babylon and put you in this position and allowed you this entrustment or stewardship, you are going to experience this very strange uh, circumstance of, of thinking you're an animal until you lower yourself and understand that I put you in the position that I've put you. At the end of that chapter, we have Nebuchadnezzar coming to his senses. Listen to these words. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation, whether it's the Babylonians, the Grecians, whether it's Rome or the United States of America, whether it's Russia or Ukraine, or whether it's some, someone in China or anywhere else. God rules over the nations of men from generation, whether it's 700 years before Christ, to generation or 2,000 years after Christ. God's kingdom rules from generation to generation. He goes on and says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He, God, does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? These concepts have to inform us as we read Romans chapter 13 and live in 2022. Again, we all have differing opinions about our governing authorities, whether it be at the state level, the city level, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, or the executive branch. We all have differing opinions about what's going on in all these places. But one thing we know, we have a responsibility from the Lord to live out our lives in a way that demonstrates that we trust Him. Our hope is not in our mayor or our governor or the house or the judicial branch or our president. That is not where our hope lies. Our hope is in the Lord who gave Himself for us. What else do we need but life from Him that endures forever? And so we face difficulties in this life. Difficulties that that may ratchet up quite, quite a bit in coming years. We need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared for how the, the Scriptures will tell us to deal with these things, which we can't, again, unveil all of it this morning. Look back at chapter 13 of Romans. Look at verse 4. It says, For he, the governing authorities, 
He is God's servant for your good. He is God's servant for your good. And then a little later in the text, verse 4, for He is the servant of God. The word servant is the word diakonos. He's a deacon. (laughs) Well, we have good deacons here. I don't know about out there. But um, he is a deacon. A deacon of God. A minister of God. That's, That's an interesting concept, isn't it? And then it says at the end of the verse, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's an interesting concept to come up here. And I think it's important for us to tie this into the 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 larger argument that's going on in Romans. Because last week, we were in Romans chapter 12, looking at the last few verses, and God told us something about this concept of being an avenger or taking revenge. Look back at chapter 12 and verse 19. Would you do me the favor and read with me verse 19? The whole verse, from beginning to end. Verse 19, ready? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is not a distant discussion from what we're in this morning in Romans chapter 13. We have to see the tie-in. God has just told us not to be overcome by evil. Not to allow evil to carry us along and and just simply uh, wash down the stream of evil and add more to it, but instead overcome evil with good. And one of the avenues that God has given us in His design is that God has given us an avenger against evil. It's supposed to be our governing authorities. When someone steals from you, the governing authority is supposed to bring justice upon the thief. When someone hurts you, the governing authority is supposed to bring justice upon the one who has committed a crime. If someone is raped or harmed sexually, The government is supposed to hold them accountable. That's their job as God-appointed officials. Look, verse uh, 3 and 4 again. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but they are a terror in its design to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And the design is you will have His approval or you'll have praise of this One. Verse 4, For He, the the One in authority, is God's deacon, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's servant or the servant of God, an avenger, or one who brings vengeance on the one who carries out, or excuse me, He's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Do you see the design? So this is tied back to our last paragraph in chapter 12 that we don't have to go around and avenge ourselves. We're supposed to have governing authorities that will bring that avenging as God's ministers. This is the design of government. God has ordained governing authorities 
for our good. Now listen carefully to this. Romans 13, Titus 3, and 1 Peter 2. Listen carefully to my words, please. These passages do not give unquestioned allegiance to all that the government mandates. These passages assume that the governing authorities are not a terror to good conduct, but to evil. All right, here's just a little bit of my weird personality coming out. The word evil in the Greek is a great word. You ready? It's kakas. It's an easy way to remember evil in the Greek. God's intention is that the government will reward good behavior and hold accountable evil behavior. That is the assumption of the design. These passages, Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, also assume that the proper function of government is to protect the society from harm. We'll get into that in a minute. Sorry. There are many biblical passages and examples of people acting rightly in the face of evil authority. And I want for us to, to look at one in the Scriptures, and I'll remind you of a couple of others uh, subsequently. Take a look, first of all, at Exodus chapter 1. There are many biblical examples of people acting rightly in the face of evil authority. So as we think about this, the Bible is not giving a rubber stamp approval to every decision that the government makes. The government is supposed to be for the praise and aid of those who do the right things and for the justice against those who do the wrong things. That is the design. And so we don't have a rubber stamp from Scripture that you know, whatever the government says, just blindly follow it and do it. That is not the call. In Exodus chapter 1, take a look at verses 8 and following. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built uh, for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua. Good names. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, 
she shall live. Will you read verse 17 with me? But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Did they do the right thing or the wrong thing? In obedience or disobedience to the king? Biblical example, correct? All right, then we have another one, again from the book of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? They refused to bow down to the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone was supposed to when they made all the music. Music, music, music. Everyone gets down and bows down to the image. And they refused to bow the knee. Was that the right thing or the wrong thing? It was the right thing. You shall not have for yourself a graven image. You shall not worship anyone but the Lord your God. This is very clear, very very easy to determine, not very easy to do. And then you have in the same book, the book of Daniel, Daniel refusing to cease his public prayers to God. Now, he could have just prayed in his closet with his windows closed. But that was not his custom. And so he didn't allow the governing authorities to tell him how he could and should pray. Was this the right thing or the wrong thing? It's the right thing. Was this in obedience or disobedience to the governing authorities? Disobedience. The apostles refused to stop preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And remember what their statement was? We ought to obey God rather than men. What's the reason for this? We're not here to make sure our governing situation is perfect. It's not about perfect government. That is not our hope. You know what our hope is? Our hope is in the Lord. It's it's about life forever in His presence. And to not speak of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is to violate everything that we are and all that we're about. This cannot be the way. And yet there are governing authorities around the world even now that prohibit any kind of testifying of your faith. And yet there are many faithful that continue to testify of their faith and continue to meet and gather to worship because it is right. It is right. When does the government cross the line of providing for our good? Certainly, we can say that when the church is restricted from proclaiming the Gospel, then the government has crossed a line violating what is good. If the church is forbidden to gather together for public worship of God, the government has crossed a line that is no longer for our good. We have to to know this. And we have to be willing when it's time to do what is right and to be ready to stand and to experience the result of dealing with doing what is right 
in the eyes of God and wrong in the eyes of man. You have to know ahead of time. There are definitely other ways that would necessitate the church making a definitive decision about living in opposition to the appointed leaders. If that were to arise, it would be essential for whoever is involved to be very clear in their understanding of what they are standing for. Why they are doing what they are doing. And they must also be very well aware of the earthly consequences of their actions. Paul continued to preach and he wound up in prison. The apostles continued to testify of the resurrected Christ and they were all martyred for their faith. Right? So it's not haphazard, willy-nilly, no, no big deal. It's about saying there's more on the line to my hope than what I see around me. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in that grand and glorious day when all rights are made wrong and every inequity is made right and every injustice has been dealt with. So in the meantime, we have a responsibility to prepare ourselves for what is right each day. For the sake of our discussion this morning, we will continue in our thoughts based upon the assumption that we are all still free to exercise our faith in our current circumstance. Because that is our current scenario. We are still free to proclaim the Gospel in 2022 in the United States of America. We are free. And we are still free to gather together for the public worship of God in the United States of America, in this region, in 2022. We are still blessed this way. And so we'll move forward in our discussion with that as our, our setup. With having had a little asterisk already presented to us that there is a time in which we must do what's right even when man thinks it to be wrong. So we clear, everyone's clear on where, where we're going here. Now we're under the assumption we live in freedom and we have the freedoms afforded to us and now we look at the text of Romans 13 in light of where we are currently so that we can respond properly. Head back to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Believers have been given clear responsibilities toward our government. Believers have been given clear responsibilities toward our government. The first concept that we'll see about this is in verses 1 and 5 of Romans 13. And that concept is that of submission. Submission to our governing authorities. Take a look, please, with me. Romans 13.1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So the first responsibility that we have is that of submission. Obeying the laws of the land. And here's where we're going to meddle a little bit. Everyone loves this great discussion. We all have differing opinions about mask wearing. Right? 
and over the last two years we've been confronted with this continuously. Changes, adjustments, changes, adjustments, move forward, move backwards, we all know. But yet, when it's time to go to a medical facility, what are you going to do? You throw on the mask. What, are you, what choices do you have? None. So you put on the mask and you go in. We all have differing opinions about mandated vaccines. And this is certainly a lot more complicated than wearing masks. And you, individually, have to make your own decisions about what your willingness is to face the ramifications of not complying. There are, there are ramifications. For instance, the, my 25th anniversary is coming up in September. And I want to take my wife on a cruise. But I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you why, but I think you'll get the implication. Someone ain't vaccinated. And that's fine. That's a person's choice. But I still can't get on the, on the ship, right? So you've got to deal with the, the problem. There are others that have much more significant problems than not being able to get on a cruise ship, right? Like people that have lost their jobs or would have lost their jobs. Uh, people that can't enter into certain facilities when it's really the right thing for them to be able to enter those facilities. These are ramifications of your decisions. So you just have to weigh it out and say, all right, I'm going to obey this mandate because it gives me these privileges, or I'm going to disobey it, or not disobey it, but not, not do that because I think that there is a reason not to. And everyone's going to make that choice, right? Make sense? Anyone's, anyone just, you know, not clear on this? Did I tell you to get vaccinated? Thank you. Did I tell you not to get vaccinated? Everyone's clear? All right, I've made my point. Obeying the laws of the land. You either do whatever it is and you have the privileges afforded, or you don't do it and you have some privileges kind of held back. That's the way it is. Paul really makes this matter significant, though. Rather significant. Infinitely significant. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority. Stop right there for a second. That's anti-tasso. That's to range in battle against. So anyone that says, okay, I see what the government's saying here, but no, I'm going I'm I'm to fight this. That's, that's that concept there. Then he says, the one that does this resists what God has appointed. That's anti-antistemi. That means to stand against. When you stand in, in battle against the authority that God has appointed, when that authority is supporting what is good, when you stand in battle against that governing authority appointed by God, you're actually standing against the Lord. This is how significant Paul makes this concept. Now again, with the concept that the government is for your good and for the punishment of evildoers. Everyone still clear with me? Everyone following? Good. And why do we do this? Verse 5. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the sake of conscience. Now, Peter uses this expression differently. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13, we do this for the Lord's sake. We do this for the Lord's sake. 
Well, there's a lot to discuss about that. Oh, man, I, I could really go off of, uh, you know, down a tangent that could take us a while. And wow, look at, look at the time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us that we live our lives in such a way so that those that would speak evil against us would praise God on the day of visitation. And part of his discussion about this, the very first step is the way that we deal with our governing authorities. For the Lord's sake, we, we put ourselves in subjection to our governing authorities so that people will see Christ in us. They see orderliness in us. We don't do it for the sake of, wow, these are really great governors and so I will obey. No, we do it for the sake of representing the Lord in a way that will turn people's eyes toward him. It's our goal is to, to have people see that God is great and that they need him. We do it for the Lord's sake. Can we trust the Lord while being under our governing authorities? Yes. And this is how we started our service this morning. We thought about Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, maybe you're very proud to be an American. Or maybe you've become less proud over these last few years. I'll leave it to your imagination how I feel. But the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's a kingdom that I'm proud to be associated with. How about you? This is, this is what our life is about then. And this is what our life is about now. You see, how else will they know what heaven looks like? If they don't see it in us. This world is not an easy place to live. Things are harder all the time. Every year you live, it's a little bit harder. When you're five, what's hard? When you're ten, a little bit harder than when you're five. When you're fifteen, little complicated, right? You haven't even figured out like that you're a human. <laughs> Sorry if you're 15. I love you. When you graduate from high school, it's like there, there can be a lot of like, what in the world is next? Maybe I'm going to college. Maybe I'm going to join the military. Maybe we're going to work at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what it is, but it's, you've got to figure something out. You graduate from college. Great, I have this degree that cost me X amount of dollars. Now what? you got to pay it back. Maybe I'll get a great job. Maybe it will rot. And then you get married, and that's wonderful. And then you have children, and that's great. But everything adds new levels of difficulty and challenge. And then your body starts to break down. You can't do all the things you want to do. You think, yeah, I'm going to go out and play basketball against a a 16-year-old, that's going to go great. <laughs> and it doesn't quite go great because your heart starts to like start racing and things. You think, oh, man, i got to start running or something. At any rate, things get harder. And then there are governmental things that add to the mix. And there's a society that is 
further and further confused about what is right and just and truth. All these add to complications. But, but my life is about something that doesn't change. God doesn't change. His standards don't change. His love doesn't change. His grace doesn't waver. His mercy doesn't cease. His patience hasn't run dry yet. He is still the same God now as he was when I was a little, wee little boy and way before it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we want to display in a world of brokenness and complication, stability and faith and hope. Do you have that hope? Do the people around you see the hope of Christ in you? Or do they see you complaining about every strange rift in society? They hear you complaining about all the mandates, and they hear you complaining about the governing authorities. I turned, you know, I looked through Twitter, and some guy was calling our president a moron. I didn't say he was a moron. Someone on Twitter said he's a moron. It's like, really, this is how we want to talk about the person that occupies the highest office in our land. Do you think that's positive, profitable, helpful? What are you gaining by calling the President of the United States a moron? A little audience of people that will say, yeah, you're right. Is that really helpful? Is, does, that, does that demonstrate what we're talking about here, of this submission as citizens of heaven living on earth? It's not. It goes against it. It violates that. Be very careful what you put on Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever other thing that it is that you do. I don't know all the things. Instagram or whatever it is. Do all your stuff, but make sure that you're representing the one that you stand for. It's way more important than getting some people to press the like button or the laugh button or whatever else it might be. Not only are we called to be submissive to the ordinances of our society we're also called to pay taxes this is everyone's favorite topic i know you love me now more than ever look at verses six and seven for because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of god attending to this very thing pay to all what is due to them taxes to whom taxes are due revenue to whom revenue is owed, I did do again, owed, respect for whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Pay taxes. <laughs> oh, happy day. Don't we just love paying our income taxes and our property taxes and our excise taxes and our tolls and our, oh, did you know this? In, in certain parts of New Hampshire, there are view taxes. Can you imagine it? Live free or die. But if you have a really good view, you're going to pay taxes on it. It's excellent. <laughs> And then, after they tax you on all those things, they tax you when you buy something. Sales tax. And then, you've got to get from place to place. And they charge you extra money on your fuel tax. It's amazing. Tax, 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 tax. You all love it. But, don't you like having fire departments? And police departments? And military services? Don't you like having sanitation, sanitation services? Water and sewer services. You, you like all these things. You're benefited by all these things. This is 
This is the part of the government that is for our good, right? We're glad to have them. When you call, the Warwick police are here. Have whatever opinion about the, you know, the police that, that you have, but you should, you should recognize the value and the benefit and the, our firefighters and our military members, all of these things. We can agree or disagree about tax codes and everything else, but we still need to pay them. Does, does Jesus agree with me? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We don't have time to turn to it, but it's in Matthew 22, 15 to 22. It'll flash on the screen, maybe, possibly, sometime. Look at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Oh, I already mentioned this. So in, at the end of verse 7, he talks about respect and honor. Respect and honor. And I want to talk about that by going to the passage that our brother David read for us this morning. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. So when we think about respect and honor, we can go to you know, how we talk about our president. Listen, I'm just going to be forthright. I don't agree with anything that our current president says. It's just a truth. That doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility to respect the office of the president of the United States. You can disagree, but you you still have a responsibility to demonstrate respect. He is my commander-in-chief, whether I love it or have some other feelings toward it. Respect and honor are due based upon position. And we need to be very careful how we deal with these things. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives us wonderful instruction about how you and I can have a respectful, honoring attitude toward those who reside as our governmental authorities, the reason why we have this respect and the avenue toward it. Take a look at 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 1. First of all then, I urge that supplications, that's an earnest entreaty, prayers, that's just a general word for praying. Intercessions, that's going to God on the behalf of someone else. And thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. Why? Why do I do this? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. Godly and dignified in every way. This is, what's that word say? Good. That's the Greek term kalos. It can be translated as it is here, good. But it can also be translated beautiful. This is a beautiful way to live. In a godly and dignified way in a peaceful and quiet manner. This is beautiful. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, the one who saved us. It's pleasing to Him. He is pleased by a spirit that demonstrates peace, godliness, and dignity. How can I do that while calling 
governing officials morons. I can't. What do I do instead? Lord, help them. Lord, give them wisdom that they don't ask for. The heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. He moves it like he moves the current of a river. Do you believe God enough? Do you trust God enough? Even when someone is in authority that you think, how did this happen? I could say there's been more than a decade of that feeling for me. Consecutively. It's, this is not about politics. I don't like to think, talk, or meditate on politics. I'm talking about actual truth. It's a long time it's been since we've had someone leading our country that, that demonstrates the ideals that would be fully supportable. But we have a responsibility to say, Lord, help our president and our vice president and our judicial branch and our legislators and our governor and our mayor and all of those that are in these positions. Lord, give them a wisdom that they don't even ask for. And, and beyond that, Father, please bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what this passage says. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of, our God, of God our Savior, who desires all people, all kinds of people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And so we see God has, has demonstrated the willingness to save people like our current president and our former presidents and our current governors and our former governors and our current mayor and our former mayors and our current senators and our former senators. God saves all kinds of people. He saved me, and I didn't deserve it. He saved you, and you didn't deserve it. So why do I not think they need to be coming to the knowledge of the truth? And so we do. We agree. But do you pray for them? Do we pray for them? I know David does when he comes up here and he leads us. He's been praying for presidents for as long as I can remember. Back to the Obama administration. I think, maybe, I think, maybe even when, when, when George Bush was in the presidency. We, we've been doing that publicly because it's our responsibility. Why do we do this? Why do we pray? First of all, it's our responsibility. And we have a desire to show ourselves and anyone that might watch or listen that our hope is not in our current leaders, but in the God who rules over our current leaders. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is beyond this world. God does allow inequities and injustice to take place during our lifetime under the stewardship of our governing authorities. God will bring about a reconciling of these wrongs. God will bring about a reconciling of these wrongs. Our Savior will bring about full and enduring righteousness. He's going to do that. But remember this. When He was here the first time, He endured the unjust treatment of man, including the governing authorities. 
who was ultimately crucified, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He endured unjust government for the time that he was there because that was the will of God to accomplish the salvation of our souls. This is beautiful and encouraging. And our goal is in alignment with this. Our goal is not great government, though that would be wonderful. Our goal is to show people that there is a better ruler, a better king, one that is willing to save their eternal soul. That will be on the screen for you in just a moment. Our goal is to show people that there is a better ruler, a better king, one that is willing to save their eternal soul. And his rule will become visible at some point. Did you know that? He's going to come. He's going to rule and reign on this earth and all the wrongs will be made right and all the injustice will be no more. My question for you is, do you know this saving king? Do you know this saving king? Do you look forward to his righteous rule? I know I do. Our hope is not in our government, it is in our God. Our hope lies beyond this world and our hope encourages us while we live in this world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't we don't have a human hope. We have a divine hope. You are worth our trust. And we pray that you would help us to demonstrate that hope now and forevermore for your glory, for our good, and for the good of a world around us that does not know Jesus. Help them. Help them to see the hope that's within us, that we might tell them about that hope with meekness and fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.